0: Anybody like a good fight? Anybody? Okay, okay. Some of your hands went up way too fast, uh, which indicates that you might have thought that I was talking about being in a fight, and that's not what I was talking about. Uh, more so what I mean is like uh, watching a fight, like being a spectator in a fight, okay? Um, I, I don't know if, if you're like me, but you're kind of drawn to that kind of thing. Like, uh, for, and I'm not saying I, I like to start it. Um, I'm just saying I kind of like to watch, like a good road rage. I just want to sit back. I don't want to be a part of it. I just like to sit back and see what happens. I'd like everybody to be safe in the end, but you got to admit, it's kind of entertaining, right? Um, I I want to tell you a story about a time uh, that I kind of started a pretty big fight. Uh, So I was a junior in high school, and uh, my baseball team had a game at another school that was across the city, kind of uh, at a, di- a different school. And we were all sitting on the bus waiting for our coach. Our coach was inside the school. He was getting some paperwork together or something like that. And um, we were waiting on my coach to come outside so that we could hop on uh, the bus together and we could go to uh, this other school to play this game of baseball, right? And so baseball team's all sitting on this bus. I am uh, I am just doing my thing. Our baseball team, we're just hanging out, and this kid comes walking up alongside of the bus, and apparently, he had some kind of beef with somebody on our bus because he just starts chirping, right? Uh, he just starts, starts saying something to a kid that was on, on the bus with us. This kid's just standing right next to the bus on the curb. They're going back and forth, and all of a sudden, like, the volume kind of gets turned up a little bit, right? Like, some other guys on the team get into it uh, again, no one's throwing punches. They're just going back and forth. Well, I'm sitting in the back of the bus minding my own business, right? I got my, like, my leg crossed. I'm in the seat. And I look down, and in the bottom of my shoe uh, were these Airsoft BBs. So no shame. used to play in uh, little Airsoft tournaments, kind of like paintball, whenever, uh, whenever I was in high school. And um, for some reason, I guess I was wearing the shoes that I would wear to do that. And so there were Airsoft BBs in the bottom of my shoe. So what did I decide to do for a reason I could not tell you? Uh, I decided that I wanted to pick one of those Airsoft BBs out of my shoe and throw it out the window at this kid. And I hit him right in the forehead. I mean square in the forehead. So he had no idea that I threw that. He thought that somebody spit a sunflower seed out of the bus at him and hit him in the head. And so his reaction uh, was not to calmly discuss, like, why that's wrong and how it offended him. His reaction was to charge the bus, jump, jump through the window of the bus, and hit a baseball team member in the face, and then try to run away. Which, as you can imagine, is not a very good idea when it's, like, one on 25-30, right? So off most of our baseball team goes. To calmly discuss with this young man as to why the decision that he made was not a wise one, okay? And our coach comes out and sees his team just in this brawl. Uh, he breaks it all up, and this kid learned a very valuable lesson that uh, their strength in numbers, okay? Um, so that was a it was kind of a, a big deal. And I, I'm sitting there, and again, I, I didn't get off the bus. I'm sitting there, sitting there watching like the whole time. I'm just like. This is amazing. Like, I can't believe I started this. Like, for, for whatever reason, we're kind of just all drawn to watching a good fight. Now, I don't necessarily, it doesn't always have to be physical. And even if you don't like watching it, at least many of us would say you like to hear about it, right? You, you like to hear about what the results of it are. Well, we're, we're going to uh, look at a passage of scripture tonight um, that has really been the source of lots of fighting and disagreement throughout history. Uh, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that has caused different like denominations uh, to to fight against one another. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that has caused um, theologians to go back and forth as to what's actually being talked about here in God's word. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles tonight to James chapter two. Uh, tonight, the kind of the source of that topic uh, is the the topic of faith and works, faith and works. Uh, This is the final week of our series that we've been calling Be Real. Uh, We've been saying every single week that what we're trying to do in this series is we're trying to get rid of the counterfeit in our life in exchange for the authentic. Trying to get rid of the counterfeit in exchange for the authentic. Two weeks ago, we talked about getting rid of counterfeit contentment in exchange for real contentment. Last week, if you were here, we talked about friendship. We said we want to get rid of counterfeit friendships in our life in exchange for real friendships. And tonight, we're going to have a conversation about real faith. Real faith. Hopefully, the goal of tonight is to get rid of the counterfeit faith in your life in exchange for uh, what James is going to call real faith. And here's the dangerous thing about a counterfeit faith. Dangerous thing about a counterfeit faith is that people who have a counterfeit faith have a really hard time recognizing that they have a counterfeit faith. Because many times the, the people who have a counterfeit faith are the ones that have been doing this thing since they were little. They're, they're the ones who like, like, this is routine to you what we do on a Thursday night right? like uh, it really—it's it, A counterfeit faith is one of the hardest things to pick out in, in someone's life, and so uh, I'm excited to see what God's Word has to say about it together with you tonight, but I want to start in a little bit different of a way than we normally do. In light of the fact that we're talking about a counterfeit faith, and a counterfeit faith is really difficult to pick out in your own life, I've been really convicted uh, here lately that when I when I sit in a seat like yours and listen to God's word opened and preach, something that I I do often, and again I've been really convicted about this, is I'll sit in the seat, I'll hear the sermon, and what what I typically will do is go, oh man, that was really like that inspired me, or or I'll I'll hear it and I and I'll go, oh man, like that's going to be really good to share with someone else, but but like. Maybe it's because I've been doing this for so long. Like uh, maybe it's because like many of you grew up in church. Like for whatever reason, like I don't hear a lot of times the words that are being preached and go, okay, God, I'm waiting on you to teach me something. I, I want something to change about my life in light of what is being taught through scripture. And tonight, I just want to start by by praying together that that we would approach the Lord with that mentality. Like that tonight we would approach our time together going, God, I just want you you to teach me something. Like I'm not just here to hear like something to inspire me. I'm not just here so that I can get some good quotes to write down, maybe post about them, you know, this week. Like I am here to hear from you. And I'm going to throw any assumptions about like where I stand in this real faith or counterfeit thing. I'm going to throw any assumptions that I have out the window. And God, I want you to search my heart and, and reveal to me where I really stand. Like, I think that's so important for us to do tonight in light of what we're talking about. So here's what I want us to do. I, I want to pray. And um, I want to invite you guys as I'm praying, I want you to pray for, for a few things. One, I want you to pray that God would teach you today, that you would throw, throw any assumption of where you stand, real faith, counterfeit faith, throw it out the window. Because, again, I'm telling you, the people who have it uh, the worst are the people who, who it's hardest to see, right? Uh, so, so, Lord, teach me. Throw any assumption that I have out the window, and, and then I want you to pray for me that God would speak clearly through me tonight. So can we pray together? Father, we come before you tonight, and... Um, God, we're, we're so grateful for the privilege to open your word, first of all. God, I, I am uh, so privileged to be able to teach your word. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would speak through me. Um, Father, move anything that I have to say out of the way. God, I want you to speak uh, only through me what your spirit uh, has come here tonight to share with us. And Father, I pray that as people uh, hear these words, Lord, that they would hear your words, not mine. Um, God, I pray that any assumption of, of where someone's at in the spectrum of counterfeit faith and real faith, I pray that that would just go out of the window right now. That each and every person in here, God, would uh, allow you to search their heart and show them, God, where they land uh, in, in on this spectrum. And so, Father, I just pray your, your power and blessing over tonight, and it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, hopefully by now you found James chapter 2. Uh, if not Table of contents, baby, right? James chapter 2. Um, and uh, I'll just tell you a few things about James, and we'll jump in. So uh, James is actually the brother of Jesus, and he writes the book of James. And uh, James is writing this book to Jewish Christians, so, so people who grew up in a Jew, with a Jewish background, uh, people who heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus and have this newfound faith in Christ. And James is writing to these Jewish believers, these new believers in Christ, kind of telling them how to, how to work out their faith in their life. Uh, he, he's trying to just give them some simple instruction. But here's the thing about James. He was the brother of Jesus. And so I don't know if it was like he heard Jesus tell too many farming stories or if he told, like, heard Jesus tell too many parables, but he, like, he's very direct. He gets right to it in, in this talk about faith and works. And so tonight, we're going to learn from this passage, starting in verse 14, we're going to learn two things that we need to know if we're going to have a real faith. Two things that we need to know if we are going to have a real faith. Let's start reading in verse 14, James 2, 14. James writes, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So let's stop there. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? What good is it? Well, spoiler alert, I'm going to answer the question for you. No good. That leads us to our our first point tonight. Our first point is is this, something that we need to know if we're going to have a real faith, that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Uh, According to what James says here, he's going to... Go on to say it's no good if someone says he has faith, but does not have works. It's no good. Why is it no good if someone claims to have faith, but does not have works? Well, according to James, the, the reason is because if there's nothing being produced, it's not real faith because real faith is accompanied by real action. If nothing's being produced, it's not real faith because real faith uh, is followed by, it produces real action. Like there's an outworking of your faith that should take place in your life. Another way to say this is if you have truly experienced for yourself God in his grace, in his mercy, reaching into your mess of a life and offering you an opportunity for a relationship with him, then there is something about you that should change. Because of how incredible, uh, how how impactful that reality is. Like, if you have true faith, something about you should be different. That's what James is getting at here. Very simple illustration. I've, I've said this before, but like. If we were here on a Thursday night, you rolled in a little late. I said, hey, glad you're here. Why are you late? And you said, well, I came from the other side of Dahlonega. I was crossing the square, got up to one of those crosswalks, you know, the yield to pedestrian crosswalks. I'm crossing the street and boom, out of nowhere, a bus just flattens me, runs me over. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm so sorry to hear that. You seem to have made a miraculous recovery, like glad you're here, right? And you're like, yeah, I got hit by a bus, but you look the exact same, like your clothes aren't torn, you're not bloody, like you're alive. Like those are all signs that that you weren't actually impacted by this great force that you claim to be impacted by because nothing about you has changed. A relationship with Jesus is a far greater impactful force uh, than you being hit by a bus. I mean, there is something about your life that should be changed if if you really uh, were impacted by that great of a force. There's no way you could be impacted by that great of a force and stay the same. A faith in God that does not cause you to look any different. It's not real faith. It's not saving faith. Like, like you, you might say you know Jesus. You might say that. But... If you still walk and talk and think the same, like something is up. You might have a counterfeit faith. You may have felt a thing. You may have prayed a thing. You may have thought a thing, but you did not meet Jesus. Because genuine faith, it causes you to look different. You know the Bible knows nothing of a fruitless faith? The Bible knows nothing of a fruitless faith. In Mark chapter 2, when Jesus heals the paralytic, remember the friends, like, got to get him to Jesus, dig a hole in the roof, lower him through the house, Jesus says, pick up your mat and be healed. Why? Because people who can't walk, they don't lay on sick people's mats. Like, something about you has changed, so he picks up his mat and he, he runs, right? He, that's what he does. He runs out of that house. Uh, Mark chapter 5, the, the demon that lived in the cave, y'all remember this story, Jesus casts out the demons, they go into all the pigs, pigs run off the hills, crazy story, Right? In that story, what does what that demon-possessed man do after after Jesus does the work of healing him? He goes and tells everybody. Because where there is genuine faith in Jesus, like no one in Scripture encounters Jesus face-to-face and stays the same. Because where real faith exists, real fruit is produced. And so James goes on to say in the the final part of verse 14 he says can that faith save you can that faith save you like can can a faith without works can it save you and the answer would be no exhibit a verse 15 if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body what good is that what good is that same question Right? What good is it? No good. Here's what that example means. Like no matter how good your intentions are, no, no matter how much you, you believe that you, uh, that you have met Jesus, if there is no action, your faith according to, to this passage is useless. It's not real faith. It's what James would call dead faith. faith intention without action is, is useless. Let, let me give you some good, um, some good marriage training, right? You guys love good marriage training in here. We talk about dating sometimes. Let's talk about marriage. So uh, I'm married to, to my beautiful wife, Aaliyah, and let me just give you um, a not-to-do list, okay? Um, don't talk and not act. Like, like, don't say, hey, I love you so much, and, and I'm so glad that I get to be your husband. Uh, but then never act on what it is that you say, right? So, like, picture this, Valentine's Day, right? I I roll out of bed. I go downstairs early. I make this incredible breakfast. Aaliyah comes downstairs. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. And I'm like, Aaliyah, I love you so much. And then I just eat the whole thing because I was making it for me. Like, that's that's not good. That has not actually happened. But that would be bad news, right? Because here's the thing. Words... Without action, like if I say I love her, but my actions don't show that, then I don't actually love her. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter how good my intentions are. In the same way, James is like, hey, faith without action, it would be like finding someone on the street who is in need, who is hungry, who is poor. Walking by them and saying, hey man, I hope everything works out for you. God bless you and keeping on walking. That's what James says that a faith without works is like. I've heard it said like this. I think this is funny and insightful. A faith that does not produce works is as useless as a screen door on a submarine. So I don't know what hillbilly came up with that phrase, but I think it was kind of good. Like, uh, it's as useless as a screen door on a submarine. So here's here's where we got to, like, talk theology for a second. Like, at this point, you're probably going, so are you saying that in order for me to be saved, that I have to work for it, that I have to earn it? Because... Many of you like red flags are going up right now. And that's not at all what I'm saying. And that's not what James is saying either. He's, he's not saying that in order for you to be saved, that are like that you have to work to earn it. He's saying that a real faith, a saving faith, should produce works. Like works are the evidence. They're not the, the what we would call like the salvific work. They're not what saves you. Right? They're the evidence of saving faith. And so if you grew up in any, any kind of background, any sort of uh, religion that would say, hey, you have to earn this thing. I, I want to read you one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes this to the, the church in Ephesus. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Through faith, not, not by works. He said, this is your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one may boast. So Paul writes this, and then James writes what we're reading in James chapter 2. And I want you to see that these, like James and Paul are not at odds. These are not like conflicting passages of Scripture. They're complementary passages of Scripture. They're not like at odds with one another. One is building on the other. Uh, James is is simply adding on to or kind of giving a different angle of the same truth. They're not at odds. They're not arguing. See, James is talking about, or James is not talking about faith versus works. James is talking about a real faith versus a dead faith. Look what James says in uh, verses 18 and 19, if we keep on reading. He says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, check this out, verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe and shudder. See, what James is is not saying is that he's not saying that it's works that that causes you to have a saving faith. Works are not the cause. They're the result. Right. So he's saying, here's an example of a faith Without works, he says, you, you think that you can, you can separate faith and works? You think that there's a faith, that, like, that you can have saving faith apart from any sort of works? Here, check, check out this example. What about the demons? Like, literally in Scripture, we read that demons recognize who Jesus is. Like, if we were to be given a theology test, like us versus Mr. Demon, like, demon probably beats us, right? Like, they know what Jesus looks like. They know his character. They, they know, like, they've heard his audible voice. Like, they could probably beat us in that test, right? But they don't have saving faith. That's what James is saying. See, the, the, the difference between the, a saving faith and the kind of faith that these demons would have that James is talking about is they just know of Jesus. And there's a difference between knowing of Jesus and actually knowing Jesus, this word faith that James uses is a Greek word. Uh, that word is pistis. P I S, T I S, or Greek letters that say the same thing. And so the the idea behind uh, this, this word faith is not just belief in. It's belief on. It's not just believing in, it's believing on. It's different than like, oh man, I, I like I have faith that. Uh, you know, that something exists, it's like I'm acting on it. It's, It's the difference between believing in, believing on. Faith in, faith on. Think about it like this. You may have heard like the classic example of a chair. I can look at one of these chairs in this auditorium and I can believe that that chair will hold me. I can tell all my friends that that chair will hold them. I can walk around and tell the whole school that there is a chair in Hogue Auditorium that if they put their butt in that chair, that chair will never let them down. Amen. But it's not true faith until I actually sit down in that chair for myself. Like, that's what James is saying here. Uh, it's, It's that saving faith doesn't just believe in, but believes on. It's the faith that saves, but it's the actions that result. So what kind of faith do you have? Is it a dead faith or is it a real faith? Are there actions that result? Like, do you look different because of what Jesus has done in your life? Do you look different because you have been changed by the power of the gospel? Like, we can sit in rooms like this, y'all. We can do all the things. We can lift our hands when we worship. We can uh, high-five people when it's like, make a friend time. We can laugh at the funny parts of of this talk like we can do all these things, go through all the motions and walk out of these doors and nothing about our life look different. That is not saving faith. It's not uh, according to what to what James is is saying here. Now, the right response to this is not to, to hear what I'm saying and go, oh, no, I don't know if I have saving faith, so I need to go and do some things. Like, I need to go and work. Like, I don't know if there are works, so I need to go and work. That is not the right response to to what we're talking about tonight. The first point that I I shared with you is, is that faith without works is dead. But the second thing that I want you to see tonight is that works without faith aren't the solution. That works without faith aren't the solution. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is also dead. Works without faith aren't the solution. Your works aren't something you do to try to earn right standing with God. Your works are a natural overflow of a relationship with God. And that's why James writes this part in in this passage. It's why he gives these examples. So remember I told you James is writing to a Jewish audience. And the reason that he uses examples from the Old Testament is because they would have really resonated with this Jewish audience. He brings up these, these heroes of the faith like Abraham and Rahab. And and the Jewish audience would have heard these examples and really like like that would have meant something to them because they grew up reading these stories, hearing these stories. And so here's the thing about this Jewish audience that James is writing to. The Jewish people believed that uh, works was the way of earning a right standing with God. Well, these Jewish people heard the gospel, now they're new believers. And so they're going to fall into one of two camps. Either A, they heard the gospel... They learn that they're no longer subject to following the Jewish law. And so they're like, oh, great. Now I don't have to do anything. I can just sit back and do nothing. And as long as I have faith in Jesus, I'm good. And James is like, no, you don't get to to just have faith. It's what we have read so far up until uh, this point. But another thing that these Jewish Christians would have been tempted to do is they would have been tempted to go, oh, this doesn't feel right. Like, my whole life, I've been following this set of laws, and it's these laws that, like, justify me. And so, I'm going to have faith in Jesus, but, like, I'm still going to work to try to make sure that I'm good, right? So, it's, it's two different temptations that these Christians were facing. It's, it's this Jewish audience. They're, they're tempted to go in one of two camps. And so, both of those are wrong approaches. Because, according to James, it takes both. Look at verse 22. It James writes, he says, you see... Faith was active along with works, and faith was completed by works. So it's not faith or works, it's faith and works. It's faith that, that uh, it's saving faith, but it, it's works resulting from, not in addition to, that saving faith. Uh, here, here's what James is saying. He gives us this example of Abraham and Rahab, right? Uh, Maybe you've heard the story of Abraham and Isaac, Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Abraham is like main character of the Old Testament. Like the Jewish people would have heard this, and I mean, it would have been super impactful to them. They they hear, okay, Abraham and Isaac. Well, what's that story about? Basically, Abraham is told that through his lineage, through his offspring, that God was going to bring about a worldwide blessing. And so God gives Abraham a son. This son is, uh, goes by the name of Isaac. And Abraham, uh, God tells Abraham when Isaac is 17 years old, hey, Abraham, I know that I promised you that I'm going to bring about a worldwide blessing through my son, but, or through your son, but I need you to sacrifice your son to me. I need you to climb this mountain. I, I need you to, to sacrifice your only son to me. And what does Abraham do? He doesn't question God. He doesn't argue. He's obedient takes his son, they walk up this mountain, and Abraham gets to the point where he is about to sacrifice his own son, which God promised he would use to bring about a worldwide blessing. And he gets to the point that he is about to kill his son, and God intervenes. He provides a substitute. Another another opportunity for sacrifice, Um, God saves Abraham's son, and the Bible says that it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Because of his faith. So, so here's what we need to see. Like, basically, what James is saying is that the only thing that could compel Abraham to sacrifice his only son is faith. Like, it wasn't Abraham doing it uh, so that he could earn right standing with God, he had to have faith in God so that these works would take place in his life. Let's, let's look at Rahab. Maybe you know the story of Rahab, Joshua chapter 2, I believe. Uh, Basically, Joshua and the Israelite army are on the outskirts of Jericho. Joshua sends in some spies to the city of Jericho. Well, the king of Jericho knows that spies are inside of the city walls, and he lets everybody know, hey, if you find these spies, you need to let us know we're going to kill them, and you'll be rewarded for finding them. Well, these spies find themselves in uh, in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. But the thing about Rahab is she had faith in the Lord. And so Rahab made the decision that she was going to provide sanctuary, like safety, for these spies and give them a way out of the city so that they could uh, escape unharmed. The same, thing is, the same question uh, that we could ask of Abraham, we can ask of Rahab. Like, what could compel someone to do something, risk her own life, risk her family's life? What could compel her to do that? It's, it's not that she just did it to do it. It's not that she did it so that she could like, try to even the scales, work to earn acceptance from God. She did it because she had faith in God. Here, here's what these examples mean. like the, the things that you do in your life are not you trying to earn God's approval. They're not you trying to earn God's favor. And any time that, that the things you do in your life, when you try to earn God's favor, it is offensive to God. Like, it's, it, it is deeply offensive to him. Do you realize that? Like, in Isaiah 64, there, there's a verse in Isaiah 64 that, that says, We have all become like one who is unclean. Our righteous deeds, and another way to say that is our good works, are like a polluted garment. Uh, other translations would say filthy rags. Like, you trying to earn the favor of God. You trying to produce works apart from faith, is like filthy rags before God. Because why? God has already done the work to, to pay for your salvation. And when you try to earn it, it is offensive to him. Like, not to gross you out, but the original language in that verse, Isaiah 64, 6, uh, filthy rags, um, we'll just say, like, use toilet paper, Okay? And uh, so, literally, what, what that passage is saying uh, is that God has given you this incredible gift. Picture it like someone, you're, you are in debt, trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars, a debt that you could never repay. And someone steps in and settles that debt for you, that you are debt-free. And, and then you go, oh, my goodness, thank you so much, I, I can't take this. I actually need to give you something that hopefully, like, hopefully it is, it is equitable, it's equal to this gift that you're giving me. And you just give them a bunch of used toilet paper. That is offensive, right? Like, is that, is that not true? Like, it's gross, but this is what the Bible says. This gift that we're being offered is so priceless that no amount of good works we could, we could ever do come close to earning this gift. That's how different these two things are. You're trying to earn something that's free, and that is offensive to God. So here's the question. Are the good things that you do, are they an overflow of your faith, or are they a result of something else? And you're the only one that can answer that question. Like, you really are. Are the good things that you do, are they a result of your faith, or are they a result of something else? Are they a result of like you doing these things because you feel like uh, you should? Are they a result of you doing these things because you feel like uh, you're going to like maybe get some better things out of life? The Bible doesn't teach that. The things that are produced in your life are a result of saving faith and nothing more. Look at what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. This is, this is a passage that, I mean, it, it's a scary one. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus talking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does, uh, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here's the thing. Just because you have done good things for God does not mean that you have saving faith. Like, did you hear the things mentioned in that passage? Like, we've cast out demons in your name. We've prophesied in your name. Those are like those things are a big deal. And there will be people that have done things far greater than us, far greater than you, that God looks at and is like, no, I never knew you. Because their works weren't connected to a real faith like do you realize that like two people could do the exact same thing on a sunday morning two people could drop a thousand dollars in the offering plate to their local church and one and and for one person that could be honoring to the lord and for the other person it could be offensive to the lord because it matters the the motive matters it matters that that work is connected to a real faith, right? It doesn't matter what the work is. It matters where the work comes from. I think about um, Judas. You know Judas, the disciple, the traitor? You think about Judas like Judas was literally involved in every single part of Jesus' ministry. Like he, he knew Jesus. He knew of Jesus. And, and he, he carried out Ministry with Jesus for three years, like Judas was was there when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, taking good notes. This is the best sermon ever, right? Like, literally, it was through the hands of Judas that one twelfth of the loaves and the fish were passed out when Jesus fed the five thousand. Like, it's through the hands of Judas that like incredible ministry took place. But there came a night in Judas' life where Jesus and the disciples are in an upper room. They're having dinner together. And Jesus looks at his disciples and and says, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And 11 times, all these disciples, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? 11 times, all 11 disciples get to Judas. And he says, Rabbi, is it I? See, all these other disciples, they knew Jesus as Lord. They've done the same works as Judas. Like They've done the same stuff. But 11 of them knew Jesus as Lord. And one only knew Jesus as teacher. How do you know Jesus tonight? Like, do you know Jesus as the Lord of your life? Or do you just see Jesus as a good teacher? Do you know him? I'm telling you, just a reminder, like it's the people who have been doing this the longest that messed this up the worst. And and like I, I really hope you hear this tonight that if you are trying, uh, if you have a faith with no outworking of that faith, like if you look no different because of because of what you're saying is real faith in Jesus, then you do not have real faith. And if you're trying to work to earn the favor of God in your life, then you do not have real faith. You're saved by faith, not by works. But your works are a result of your saving faith. They are evidence that your faith is real. So here here are some questions that I want to ask you tonight. Do you do good works because you see Jesus as teacher or Lord? Like, why, why do you do what you do? Are you in a small group because your friends are in a small group? Or are you in a small group because you follow Jesus and you know you can't live this Christian life without good community? Do you give routinely to a local church because you're supposed to? Or do you give because you know Jesus loved first, Jesus went first, and now like your only proper response to that is to give Him your first and your best? Why do you do what you do? Do you come to Revive and all the other campus ministries because of the way it makes you feel? Or do you come because you are trying to take every opportunity that you possibly can to look more like Jesus? Why do you do what you do? Here's another question for you. Do you know him? Like, Do you know him? Not, not like do you know of him. Not even can you answer all the questions the right way. Like do you know? Do you have a relationship with? Not, not like do you have faith on or or faith in but like faith on believe not believe in but believe on do you know him do you know him have you been practicing works apart from faith have you just been trying to earn right standing with God listen I don't know there there are so many different ways that we can get this wrong there really are but I I know this That we started our time together tonight by going to the Lord in prayer and, and giving Him permission to search our hearts. And so, what I want to invite us all to do is bow our head and close our eyes. And one more time, I just want you to, I just want to invite you to ask the Lord Lord, search my heart. No matter how long I've been doing this, no matter how much I think I have it figured out no matter like, how confident I am as to whether or not I have real faith or counterfeit faith, just maybe, like, Lord, would you search my heart, and would you, would you help me to see where I land? And here's, here's what I want to do. If you would say tonight, man, I, I feel like I walked in here, and I was confident I had a real faith, but now I'm, I'm uncertain, and I think I have a counterfeit faith. Here's, here's what I want you to do. I just want to invite you to lift your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything scary, not going to ask you to do anything that makes you uncomfortable. Just want to lift your hand. Lift it high. Awesome. Awesome. Tons of you. So after our service is over, I want to invite you guys. I know who you are. I would love to invite you all to come down front. I just want to have a quick conversation with you. Answer any questions that you have. Um, Man, this is something that it is imperative that you get right. That you think that you have... Uh, a faith that saves you, but like if you continue down the road that you're on, you will not end up spending eternity with Jesus forever. The rest of us in here, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that you're putting your faith in works. I don't know if you're trying to work apart from Jesus, but whatever it is, um, I just want to invite you to respond as you feel led. So let's all stand together. The band is going to lead us in a time of worship. I'm going to be down front uh, over here to my left, Anne Marie, our girls' director, is going to be down front here uh, to my right. And um, we're going to worship together. I want to invite you to respond as you feel that. Again, I'll be right down here. I'd love to have a conversation with you guys. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And um, God, we're so thankful, um, Lord, that you are so clear in your word about, about this topic. God you, um, God, you speak directly to the heart of the issue that faith without works will not save us. And so, Lord, I ask that uh, if there's anybody in here that, um, God, they, they, they came in here tonight with a counterfeit faith, that you would make that clear to them and that they would not leave here without having a conversation with someone about it. Father, I pray for salvation in this place. You are so good. Uh, we have seen you do so many incredible things so far this semester, and we know you're not done. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.